Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. The Confederate Army of Tennessee is one of the great field armies of the Civil War, and the stories of its leaders has been told many times, Generals Bragg, Hood, Hardy, and others. But the men in the ranks have been largely overlooked until now. In an innovative new book, Suffering in the Army of Tennessee, a social history of the Confederate Army of the Heartland from the battles for Atlanta to the retreat from Nashville, we learn the story of the men who served in the Army, told in their own words, as organized by Professor Christopher Thrasher. We'll talk with the author tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from, as often is the case, the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University. Not representing the college, not uh, speaking on behalf of ECU or anybody else. And likewise, uh, our guest will speak only for himself tonight, as we always do. Well, a lot of uh, announcements to run through, uh, things that have happened in the past week, uh, some of them uh, you can read about in many other places. East Carolina baseball is moving along, lost a game but won a series. Uh, University of Michigan basketball barely qualified for the NCAA tournament. Spring football practice has started everywhere to the great rejoicing of all. Uh, and last week on the show, I uh, announced or reminded, uh, actually nothing happened last week. Last week was spring break. We all uh, chilled out for a week. But now it's March 16th of 2022, and we're back. Uh, the uh, last uh, last few weeks, I've been pointing out that you can now get your official Civil War talk radio merchandise. You can get a T-shirt or a coffee mug. If you go to the website, www.impedimentsofwar.org, find out who's going to be on the show, buy the books of those who've already been on the show, and there's a link to the uh, store site there. Same thing at Impediments of War, the Facebook page of that name. And in addition to getting yourself a t-shirt or a coffee mug, why not get yourself a master's degree while you're at it? Um, you cannot get a master's degree from the Civil War Talk Radio store, but you can get one from East Carolina University, uh, it turns out, uh, where I work. I'm mentioning this because we recently passed the threshold where more than 50% of our graduate classes are now available online, which means we are officially classified as an online graduate program. 
So it occurred to me, if you're one of those people who uh, sees the ads for military history degrees from shady online diploma mills, uh, consider getting one from an actual brick-and-mortar university, uh, such as ECU. Full disclosure, uh, I should say one does not simply walk into ECU's MA program. You would have to apply through the regular channels on the ECU website. That's ecu.edu. I'm not on our department's uh, graduate committee this semester, so I would have no say whatsoever into who gets admitted or not. So uh, if if you do apply and don't get in, uh, don't write to me. The... I won't even see the applications. My colleagues will, will be doing the screening. And uh, But if you're serious about it, if, if you actually have thought about getting a graduate degree, it, it occurred to me when I saw that our department was now classified as offering an online graduate degree and that we're actually advertising on, on public radio for it, um, then if you can write a decent letter expressing your interest in history and you have a respectable academic record, however long ago it was, your chances are pretty good. Uh, A second disclosure before you leap to uh, the keyboard to start applying is that not every course we have here is online. A a dirty secret you'll find wherever you apply is that schools have massive catalogs filled with interesting courses, but many of them were created by professors who retired or left for one reason or another years ago, and they haven't been offered in two decades. Uh, So don't be fooled. we we offer some courses. We offer all the required courses online, historiography, uh, the advanced seminar in American history. Those are online. Your thesis hours would all be online. Uh, that would account for 12 hours out of a 30-hour program. For the others, you'd have to choose whatever's being offered that semester out of you know three or four classes probably offered. And they may not be exactly what you want, but, uh, but you'd get there eventually. So if you've been thinking about an online MA degree in history, and you want to do better than a vanity degree from an online pseudo-university, East Carolina is a real place. Go to ecu.edu, search from there. I have not even told my department chair that I'm telling you this, by the way. Um, There's nothing on our website that says, welcome, talk radio listeners. Uh, You'd have to figure out the application process for yourself. But... You know, if those those who could not actually figure out the application props, that's probably shouldn't be applying anyway. Uh, if you are interested, uh, it'd be fun to see you in a virtual classroom someday. Uh, you can apply for the fall 2022 semester anytime uh, up to late June, I think. So you get time to think about it. While you're thinking, uh, keep listening to the show. Next week, the 23rd, we have a brand new book just hot off the press by Roger Lowenstein. It's called Ways and Means, Lincoln and His Cabinet and the Financing of the Civil War. On the 30th of the month, we'll wrap up with Jim Downs. He's the new editor of the journal Civil War History. And he's got a recent book, Maladies of Empire, How Colonialism, Slavery, and War Transformed Medicine. So we'll talk about those topics. Uh, so many things going on. Final quick notes. Um, this week's unpaid sponsor, Civil War, unpaying sponsor, is the Civil War Institute. I talk about them all the time. Civil War Institute at Gettysburg College. Uh, really great program. It's in June. Go to the Civil War Institute uh, website at the Gettysburg College, gettysburg.edu. Find out about it. If you tell them you're with uh, Civil War Talk Radio or that you listen to the show or that you've heard of the show, they will give you a discount on tuition for the Civil War Institute. And there's always the Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours travel opportunity, this hallowed ground. There's still openings, I think, for June 18 through 26. Go to Stephen Ambrose Historical Tours. Check that out. Catching my breath, last thing I, I, I just added this not 10 minutes ago uh, because I just learned about it. Wise Forks is one of the last battles of the Civil War. Uh, Many different ways to spell wise, uh, W-I-S-E, W-I-S-E, there's an apostrophe or there isn't, whatever it is, Wise's Forks, Wise Forks. It's near Kinston, North Carolina, not far from where I'm sitting. And the battlefield is pretty much traversed by Highway 70, but you can still see a good 
sense of the, the the landscape as of March 1865 when Sherman's men were were moving towards Raleigh. Uh, unless the Department of Transportation has its way, there's a plan to build an uh, an interchange right in the middle of the battlefield to to essentially destroy the battlefield. If you're interested in not having that happen. The first place to look is the Save Wise Fork Battlefield group on Facebook. I know there's reasons not to go to Facebook, but if you do, uh, just search for Save Wise Fork Battlefield. You'll find out more about it. Wade Sokolowski, who's been on this show, uh, is the, has written about it. He's organizing that group, and you can learn out, learn more about it from him. I'll tell you more next week as I learn more about it. I just found out about this, uh, and I, I already wrote to my state representative and and maybe you can do something too to not have them build an interchange in the middle of a civil war battlefield tonight we are talking with professor christopher thrasher from the national park college and author of brand new book suffering in the army of tennessee a social history of the confederate army of the heartland from the battles for atlanta to the retreat from nashville Uh, professor thrasher are you there i'm here and i'm delighted to be speaking with you well welcome to the show thanks for your patience had to go through all the all the talk there um i'm pleased to have you here and i'm pleased to find out uh something i don't know i like to learn every week where is national park college Uh, national park college is in beautiful historic hot springs arkansas we're about an hour away from little rock Okay. So, uh, and have you been there? Uh, is this a recent appointment? Have you been there for a while? I've been here for about, uh, this is my sixth year at National Park College. Excellent. Uh, I, I did glance at the website when I was getting your email address so I could uh, invite you here. And I noticed on your page it says that you are not the typical college instructor, <laughs> irreverent, unconventional. Now, my students will tell you that I have been known to wear a pattern shirt and a striped tie on the same day. I mean, that's wild. So I'm, I'm pretty crazy, too. How, how do you get outside the box as, as an instructor? Uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a funny bit uh, that you have on the website. I forgot that was there. Uh, I think I – think Probably, uh, probably my, my claim to fame for being unconventional. It's it's kind of a funny story. I was about to teach my my first semester as an adjunct after finishing my master's degree, and it occurred to me as I prepared uh, that I was completely unprepared. Uh, that I had learned a little history, but I had no idea what to actually do for 16 weeks with a, a room full of college freshmen. Um, so I did something I try really really hard to never ever do. Uh, I uh, went through and uh, I just went in the first day. And I just, I just confessed. I, I try not to confess my sins, but I did. Uh, and I said, so here's the thing. I, I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, if you'll tell me what you're interested in, if you'll tell me what you've heard a thousand times, I'll skip it. If you'll tell me what you would like to do, what you think would be interesting, or maybe something historical you've always wanted to know more about, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just crazy enough to, to give you a listen. Um, and so we had a really great conversation that first night, uh, and they suggested some, some some, some kind of unconventional topics that I thought would be a lot of fun to mix in with the, the typical stuff. And so every class I've taught since, I always go in the first day and I say, here's you know, here's who I am and I'm delighted to meet you. And uh, at this point, I've been teaching a while and I think I have a decent library of material, but I, uh, I'm i interested in your suggestions. So suggest something weird, suggest something crazy, and we'll see if we can, we'll see if we can work that in. That is really interesting. I, I, I'm taking notes here, thinking, oh, that's something to try. I don't think uh, – I mean, I've been at this 20 years. I don't think if I said I, I don't have any idea what I'm doing on day one, that, would, that might be malpractice. <laughs> the taxpayers would say, what are we, who have we hired? But the but I, I really like the idea of, of you know structuring uh, with the student interests in mind. That, that's, they are paying our tuition, our salaries after all. So uh, sure. there's, there's a lot to that. Uh, this book you've written here is also unconventional in some ways. Uh, as I said in the introduction, we, we've heard a, a lot over the years uh, from Stanley Horn and others about the leadership of the Army of Tennessee, uh, the mm-hmm. Confederate Army, but 
not nearly as much about the the rank and file. So uh, an obvious question is what what led you to take that approach? So it, it was inspired by reading good books. And so I had read uh, Confederacy's Last Hurrah uh, by Wiley Sword, wonderful book. And I was also reading some good Larry Daniel, uh, particularly soldiering in the Army of Tennessee. Uh, and it, as I was reading Confederacy's Last Hurrah, I really loved it. But I felt like as good as that book was, uh, he, he, he failed to fully use some of the really good material. So he'd mentioned just kind of a, he'd have a little snippet in there, a little quote from a private or something. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'd really like to know more about that guy and, and maybe maybe not quite so much about Hood. Uh, and so if uh, somebody like Larry Daniel or Dre Chasey, uh, Dre Tracy Powers wrote Confederacy's Last Hurrah, what might that sound like? And so this was my attempt to to try to uh, create something like that. So I, I think it's a wonderful idea. I wrote uh, my dissertation on the Army of the Ohio, and, and I was leaning in that direction, I think. I tried to do some of the same thing, to write about the soldiers uh, as much or more than the leaders, but not entirely so. Uh, so I was just excited to read this book, and it certainly does give us a, a different view of the Army of Tennessee in its last uh, campaigns. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back and talk more about suffering in the Army of Tennessee with its author, Professor Christopher Thrasher. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice of America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Christopher Thrasher, author of Suffering in the Army of Tennessee, a social history of the Confederate Army of the Heartland from the battles for Atlanta to the retreat from Nashville. So, Christopher, let, let me start with sort of the inside baseball question. You have this mm-hmm. concept of writing about the soldiers as opposed to the mm-hmm. leaders. The leaders mm-hmm. write their memoirs. People write about them. The, the sources sure. are plenty. How do you get at the experience of the the soldiers in the ranks? Uh, Well, the first thing I did is I went through all the secondary literature, uh, Confederacy's Last Hurrah, all the the secondary books I could find. And what I found in many cases is a lot of the the existing secondary literature does acknowledge that there are these other sources. They just just don't use them as much. They just don't focus on them as much. Uh, So I started off by going through there and finding out where kind of the good stuff was. Uh, And then what I would do is I'd make an appointment to to go to uh, an archival repository or library or wherever else, and 
I'd uh, email them or call and say, I'd like to have an appointment to come. And these are some specific things I'm looking at. And oh, by the way, this is my research project. Uh, and if you know of anything else that's good or anything that might help me with that, please let me know. I would love to see it. And I would really, I'd really appreciate your help. Um, a piece of advice I got when I was about to start my PhD program was uh, you need to make sure that the secretaries like you and you need to make sure the archivists like you. And if those Amen. two people, <laughs> if those two groups are in your corner, you can ignore just about everybody else. Um, and what I found was, and you know, and, and it goes to kind of my teaching style, just going in and having conversations with people. And I found that if I, you know, if I went in and I was, you know, very nice and, and certainly genuinely appreciative for the archivist and for the wonderful work they do. And I just said, Hey, you, you, you know where the good stuff is. This is kind of what I'm thinking. You know, what 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 else do I need to look at while I'm here? What do you recommend? Uh, and every time they said, well, I don't know that you want to see this. Every time they would preference a statement, whatever, I'd say, I definitely want to see it. You know, I've, I've got all day. Please show me. Um, and so a lot of times the archivists, they say, well, I don't, in some cases, they would even think it's unrelated to this project. I've got folders for other, I've got, I've got folders for other books. I could be writing for a long time based on what I've already got. Because they said, we have this interesting thing nobody's ever really done anything with, if you'd like to see it. And I'd say, yeah, I want to see it. Of course I want to see it. So, that. And that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that will be the next book. That, that's where the, yeah. that comes from. You get all that stuff lined up. Boy, it, yeah. it, absolutely true. You Getting the archivist on your side, getting the, the staff, uh, mm-hmm. showing them the decent appreciation they deserve is so important. So, uh, so you found a lot of material. Yeah. The uh, uh, the story you tell is laid out uh, chronologically, but it, it's not a campaign history as such. It's not, as I, I guess, uh, but it does go through the story, uh, starting with the battles around Atlanta, and right mm-hmm. at the very beginning, we see an example of what you're talking about, where every secondary account that I've read talks about how uh, uh, General Hood replacing General Johnson, the soldiers were, were sorry about that because they all loved Joe Johnston, and mm-hmm. uh, they're sorry to see him him replaced. But you found uh, ambivalent or even a positive view toward toward that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's another thing, too. I tried to compare looking at good primary sources, uh, but then also acknowledging there's sometimes a difference between the sources that are produced during the war and the sources that are produced long after. And both are worth looking at. And I did look at both types of sources, uh, but it's interesting to compare them sometimes. Uh, and that's part of why, even though a lot of times people that, that study you know, Franklin and Nashville just look at Franklin and Nashville, is I wanted to look at Atlanta because I think we have to understand kind of how the Army felt about Johnson and how they felt about the transition and maybe kind of correcting some of those perceptions or, or alter, offering an alternative perspective on those uh, those perceptions, uh, because I think in that context, uh, Franklin and Nashville make a lot more sense. Yeah, I mean, we know what Hood is eventually going to do to this army, So, and, and the people writing their memoirs 20 years later, that's their memory of what how things ended badly, but, but at the moment, as you say, by starting around Atlanta in in the fall of 1864, there's a lot of optimism. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's almost a, a recurring theme uh, mm-hmm. that, that goes through, at, at least through through the Atlanta battles, through Springfield, or, or through Spring Hill and, and Franklin, that no matter how many times this army loses a battle, or, or mm-hmm. we perceive it to have lost a battle, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they remind me of the... the the famous knight in the, the Monty Python uh, film, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who just will not stop fighting no matter how many limbs are chopped off. Uh, I, mm-hmm. ah, just a scratch. I'll come back and I'll bite you. <laughs> uh, they, 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 they lose at Atlanta and, and you report that their morale is higher than ever. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think a lot of it. Once again, I think we in in the in the present, we you know us us armchair generals, we you know we kind of have our idea of what winning and losing was, uh, but it, I think it looked very different at the moment to the soldiers uh, in the ranks. Um, you know, for example, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, but but at Franklin, uh, I think I titled that chapter something like you know victory is ours but dearly bought. Like they, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and so some of them they say, hey, we took the ground, the the Union forces 
they are fleeing. They're running away from us. This is going great. Like, yeah, we've suffered casualties, but that's okay. That's war. That's what happens. Uh, and I think I think most modern historians look at that and say, well, Franklin just destroyed the army. That That's not what I see in the primary sources. Yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating. I, Gary Gallagher has found some of that in, in the post-Gettysburg letters mm-hmm. that he's read, that, that they, the Lee's army comes away going, well, that didn't go great, but we're okay. <laughs> Uh, and and they're certainly not like oh my god that's the turning point where it's all downhill mm-hmm. from here. Uh, yeah. They don't see it that way at all. And mm-hmm. and, and but it was, I would admit it was more surprising to read your uh, description of soldiers after Franklin, which most of us think of as, as a great slaughter, mm-hmm. uh, of them writing about how this was. Uh, a, this was a victory. The, oh, yeah. the other side abandoned their position the next day. Therefore, we win. Uh, it, I, that was surprising. Well, you know, and you think about how, how do you judge a victory? How do you decide who won or lost a battle? You know, if we if we take our, you know, our present vantage point out of the equation and we say, okay, we have two armies. They met it on the field. At the end of the battlefield, at the end of the battle, one side is in possession and one side is retreating in haste and, and fleeing the field. Well, who won? Well, I think it's reasonable to say the, the, the army that held the field is the victor and the one who fled and is, is looking for, you know, for, for a, a new position somewhere far away is the loser. Although it seems to me that's somewhat uh, dependent on, on who's the mindset of the people thinking, because after Antietam, sure. when Lee leaves the battlefield, I mean, he stays for a day to show he's not afraid, then he leaves. Yeah. But his guys don't feel that McClellan's got the upper hand at all. McClellan, who has just, uh, you, you know, done this this very uh, you know, inconclusive sort of victory with the, considering the resources he had, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess he does see it as a victory, but, but his troops on Lincoln certainly doesn't see it as the kind of victory. So, uh, but but let's talk about your army. The, the uh, when they leave or when they occupy the battlefield of Franklin, yes, they do take it as a victory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the they they go through this in Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. They they recover after the Atlanta battles. Mm-hmm. They they go through the the, the siege, the, the Peachtree Creek. Uh, mm-hmm. They fight it. Uh, one battle after another, mm-hmm. and and when it's done, they're they're still pretty positive, and they still think Hood is is their guy at that point, mm-hmm. uh, as I as I read it. Is that yeah. is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one thing we have to be to, to be careful about as well, and I, and I have to constantly remind myself of this is uh, not everybody thought that Hood was their guy, um, uh-huh. because I'm looking at sources of guys that stayed with the army, uh, and of course there was a lot of desertioners. A good book. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure all the listeners are familiar with uh, "More Damning Than Slaughter," which is you know history of desertion. So we, we have an, a level of confirmation bias. They're the ones that stayed for the most part. Thought Hood was their guy, uh, but there are plenty that are melting away. That at each you know at each step along the way say, okay, well that's that's my last one. I'm I'm done now. One of the other themes that runs through the book is, is in the title, suffering. You you point mm-hmm. out that 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 is just seems to characterize everything this army does, everything it touches, and that really mm-hmm. comes out in the chapter where after Atlanta they decide uh, they're going to go, or Hood decides they're going to go north mm-hmm. uh, and and get behind Sherman's army, and they end up having to go into North Alabama. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a a dismal place both geographically and and politically for the army of tennessee and mm-hmm. and and the suffering there is mutual it's both the, the soldiers mm-hmm. and the civilians is it talk about that that experience the, the north alabama days yeah yeah i think that was a, a really rough you know and there's there, there's good and bad there there's things that i think they're very positive about i think in general the, the confederate soldiers when they're moving and they feel like there's some level of forward momentum uh then there's something very positive there um on the other hand yes there's there's absolutely suffering and then there's and one thing i appreciate about all these guys is they have this this really kind of kind of dark sense of humor and i think this this ability to kind of laugh in spite of so they're suffering but then they're somehow weirdly upbeat about it um i think one of my favorites there was a a guy some of these guys don't have shoes and so they're slaughtering cattle 
meatballs and they're, they're giving them raw beef highs. And this one guy uh, talks about he, um, he, he got a, a, a set of these like crude moccasins and he thought, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And I guess he had read like leather stocking tales and he uh-huh. decided, oh, I'm this grand, I'm this grand hero. And then he goes to sleep and he wakes up and then these, these raw highs have like crimped around his feet and they really, really hurt. And he wakes up and he's so mad and he's cutting them off and he's, you know, cursing leather stocking tails and saying, it's all a lie. The book's a lie. I mean, it's this, I mean, it's suffering, but it's, this is weird kind of, kind of humor. And maybe, maybe these guys, maybe they had to have that kind of sense of, of dark humor and, and being able to find, you know, a weird light and, and a weird happiness uh, in their, in their misery. Well, they, they do rationalize a lot. I mean, they, they go into North Alabama cause they're, they're sidling to the left, to the West, yep. looking for a way to cross the Tennessee river. Yeah. And they get to Decatur and mm-hmm. they try to cross there, but mm-hmm. there's a union garrison that's heavily dug in and it, it mm-hmm. repels them. Yep. But, and you quote half a dozen letters where the guys all say, well, we didn't really want to cross there. We just wanted to get their attention. <laughs> Did they believe that or are they just whistling in the dark at this point? You know, that's a great question. It would it would be really interesting if I had a time machine to go back and kind of hang out in the camps and, <laughs> and try to, you know, try to maybe bring a psycho psychoanalyst along with me and try to figure out how, you know, how, how, how sincere they were. Uh, you know, people are complex. I suspect it's 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 this, that and both. Um, I think some of them probably were sincere. I think some of them are probably justifying it because they're trying to keep upbeat. And once again, I think some. Uh, say, yep, that was a failure. I'm done, and then they walk away, and then they're not mm-hmm. they're not in the story anymore. So they eventually keep moving westward, and they they get to Florence, mm-hmm. and there's a chance to cross the river, which they do. Yeah. Uh, and they spend some time there. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they get to go back into their home state of Tennessee, mm-hmm. and that. Um, I mean, it, it, listeners to the show will know of my allegiance to my alma mater, University of Michigan, whose mm-hmm. team runs out under the banner uh, before every football game. They leap up and touch the Go Blue banner. Uh, and the, the soldiers marching into Tennessee underneath a banner across the road uh, mm-hmm. that reminded me of that. Uh, yeah. That it's almost. Um, uh, well, uh, the, the emotion they must have felt on coming back to their home state uh, really comes through in, in, in the, your description. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, I think it, it goes to that idea that there's this forward momentum, and it's real easy for us to look back and see how it turned out and say, "Oh, these, you know, the, the, it wasn't going to work. These guys are doomed." I don't think it felt doomed crossing into Tennessee. No, and and they moved north. Now they do encounter Schofield's Union troops almost immediately, and mm-hmm. and you get the the fighting at Spring Hill. Here we have one of the the strange stories of the Civil War, where where the. Mm-hmm. Federal troops are essentially trapped beyond Confederate mm-hmm. lines. There's only one road out, and the Confederates are 100 yards from that road. They just have to throw a guard across, and the whole Union Army is bagged, and nobody does it. And the Union guys just march out in the middle of the night. Uh, we've all heard that story, and we've read the the debates about is it Hood's fault? Is it mm-hmm. who's Cheatham's fault? Whose fault is it? Now here, even though you're, you're well, well, let me ask this: What did the men think? You 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 don't delve into is it hood's fault so much as your your stories about the men what did they think after this happened you know i think that that weird beautiful fatalism somehow comes out again i think i think one of my favorite lines uh, one of the soldiers that i followed quite a bit who left interestingly both a a diary that was done during the war and then came and wrote a memoir afterwards which is is a gold mine to compare but anyway uh he said you know it just i think i think that was the title that chapter actually was by some misunderstanding and he says, you know, it was just, it was just a misunderstanding. This is just kind of how war happens. So they, they, they're, they're not angry at Hood necessarily. They're, they're not, uh, uh, or anybody. They, they just, they just let it go, and, and so we get this uh, astonishing escape. Um, yeah. It, 
throughout the battle you describe throughout the the the, the book you describe fighting mm-hmm. uh, and, and since you're at the the individual soldiers level it we get up close and personal to, to men being killed and wounded in horrible ways in any civil war book there's always a line between to me at one extreme over sanitization uh, uh, things are, are told with euphemisms are not mentioned at all and at the other end you, you get the wound porn uh, people describing things in un, in gory detail uh, repeatedly to the point where if I'm reading it I wonder what is this person's problem uh, you, you must have had to think about how you how how much you were going to tell yeah, absolutely, and you're absolutely, and I and I agree completely with what you're saying. I've I've read some academic books that you know even on on Civil War battles, and it, it sounds like there there wasn't any bloodshed. It sounds right. like, and, uh, and on the other hand, yeah, you're right. I've I've read particularly some popular histories where it it just really seems a little much, and it even gets to a point where it's a little cliche. Like some of the same phrases are used over and over. Yeah, uh, and so I tried to to draw a line there, and I tried to certainly acknowledge the suffering and kind of acknowledge, you know, some of the bad things that were happening. Um, but at the same time, not, I mean, I, I tried to strike a balance and I, and I don't know how well I did, but I, but I certainly was conscious of that and tried to strike that balance. I mean, I think it's a real challenge for anyone writing about the civil war to, to do that, that you don't want to pretend this isn't as bad as it is, mm-hmm. but you, rubbing the reader's nose in it after a while becomes counterproductive. Um, yeah. I mean, th- there were times, that there were things that you, you described where I thought, well, that's, that's pretty awful. <laughs> I'm glad Glad I'm not there. Uh, yeah. But but again, that that is war. The uh, one of the most interesting things in the book is the appendix where mm. you talk about the uh, historiographical controversy over just how well equipped this army was. We're going to mm-hmm. take another break, and I will give you a minute to think about that, and we'll come back mm-hmm. with this question uh, for our guest tonight, Christopher Thrasher, and we'll find out, was the Army of Tennessee actually uh, a bunch of ragged scarecrows, or were they really well equipped as they fought their last battles? We'll find out more when we talk with him in just a moment. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. 
and welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Christopher Thrasher, author of Suffering in the Army of Tennessee, The Social History of the Confederate Army of the Heartland, From the Battles for Atlanta to the Retreat from Nashville. So we've been following this army uh, from the Atlanta battles up through uh, Spring Hill, and we've touched on Franklin. The, uh, the whole time... There's this underlying question, which you address in in an appendix, about the the historical versions of the Army of Tennessee that that we've seen in other secondary accounts. In some of them, they are ragged scarecrows. They've got nothing left. Um, uh, in others, yeah, they're they're still they're they're a little bit lean, but they they're fully equipped with the weapons of war. They're able to give a good account for themselves. And in fact, you 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 use the 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 scene in Gone with the Wind. We've all seen the the, the famous Atlanta burning scene, and the army is marching out, and Brett Butler decides he's going to go join up. Uh, that is that scene certainly occurred to me as I was reading the book when you were describing the evacuation of Atlanta. That was playing in my mind's uh, movie theater, and then when you you brought it up in your appendix, it made perfect sense. That's that's how we see this army. But no one has ever really tried to answer the question, just just what condition were these guys in uh, and, until now? What, what, what did you find? Uh, so once again, I think you know methodology is really important here, and I think part of why there's there's a disagreement about whether or not they were ragged or not is because that's based on kind of anecdotal accounts and, and perceptions. Uh, and so while I'm a historian, which means I can't do math, um, if I can do <laughs> math, I would, I would, probably, I would I'd be like my my brother, the engineer, and, and be far more successful than I am. Uh, uh, I but anyway, you. I tried, I, I tried to do some math. So what I what I found this is a source that I think very few historians have looked at because historians don't like math and because they're obnoxious to they're obnoxious sources to deal with are these inspection reports um, that were produced by the Confederate armies and they, they start doing them fairly early on but by the time we get to to 64 the time of this campaign they're, they're using pre-printed forms uh, and they're they're somewhat standardized uh, and so what I focused on specifically is I looked just at the infantry because that's you know it's the bulk of the fighting power and I wanted to kind of limit my work a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and I went through these inspection reports that you can get them on microfilm from the National Archives. And I went through and just kind of tabulated everything up. And I said, okay, according to the inspectors, you know, how many of them have modern weapons? How many of them have shoes? How many of them, you know, need new underwear? What's what's going on there? And so I tried to, to, to put some level of, and I put it all in spreadsheets and ran all kinds of mathematical functions that I'm, I'm sure I don't fully understand, but I gave it a shot. And uh, what I came up with is is something that's, that's a little more complicated than the usual perception. I think usually the debate is, well, they were ragged, they were not ragged. Uh, and the conclusion I come to is that they, they had everything they needed to fight. They had all the weapons and the equipment and all that. That was good. Uh, what they didn't have for the most part was was clothing and, and kind of the things they needed to to be comfortable and to live, which goes back to the title suffering. I think I think they had the, they had the tools to inflict suffering, but not the the comfort items that would allow them to to maybe have a little less suffering themselves. So in terms of weapons, for example, yeah. they they all have rifled muskets at this point. They're not using smooth wars anymore. Uh, for the most part, yes. Yeah. So they've got well over 90 percent of the army uh, has a firearm. Most of those are going to be going to be rifles, uh, infield models. And, and the you know, interesting thing about working with the sources uh, with these inspection reports is they're they're not always entirely clear. Um, sometimes they'll they'll say something very clear. Sometimes they'll say something that doesn't really make any sense. They'll they'll talk about infields and you know 75 caliber or something, which doesn't you know it's not really a, a thing that exists as best I can tell. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, they are armed by this time period. Almost all of them have all the infantrymen have a weapon, uh, and the, the vast majority, as best I can tell, are um, are modern rifle muskets, similar to what the Union Army was carrying at the time. And and their artillery park is in reasonable shape as well. Uh, I, I gather the, yeah. certainly you describe artillery fighting throughout the the campaigns. Yeah. The uh, you know one of my uh, things I, I go into when I teach Civil War courses on the first 
well, early when we get to the war, the every secondary uh, textbook you'll have that chart showing uh, how the U.S. has all the advantages in in, uh, mm-hmm. in industry and uh, factories and so on. And the thing is that it's not an industrial war. Uh, yeah. The the Confederates have everything they need to fight, and as you show in this book, they 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 don't lose these battles because they lack the fruits of factories uh, mm-hmm. other than shoes i suppose yeah uh, but but they, uh, they they are fully equipped uh, and and mm-hmm. they give a, a good account of themselves let me change gears a bit uh, last on, on the last program here uh, two weeks ago uh, Lorian foot talked about her uh, book on retaliation in the civil war on, on the ritual in which mm-hmm. sides would challenge each other to stop behaving a certain way or there would be consequences and primarily it, it meant much of it focused on African-American soldiers. Mm-hmm. And you talk about this at, at Dalton, for example, when uh, the Army of Tennessee defeats a federal force, they capture some United States colored troops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was – I was trying to read between the lines. Did Did they – how did those interactions go uh, when when Army of Tennessee soldiers interacted with black Union soldiers? You know, I, I think it varied. Uh, Sam Watkins, I'm sure we've all read our, our Sam Watkins, mm-hmm. our company age. He claims that they, you know, they would capture these these African American soldiers, and the and the soldiers were were happy to be captured, and they were, you know, they were very. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not buying that. <laughs> well, well, I, I'll tell you. I mean, I, I don't buy that they were happy to be captured. I uh-huh. buy they may have been telling the Confederate soldiers they were happy to be captured. There you go. Yes, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy. And Same I, here. <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, that's an interesting thing, too. I think sometimes with these Confederate soldiers, there's kind of a a shocking, naive kind of facet to their personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think that may be a good example. I think I think absolutely these these African-American soldiers were captured. And I, I, I believe that some of them, you know, played nice and, and said, oh, we're so glad. Thank goodness you saved us from the Yankees. Thank goodness you're back. We're you know, we were waiting for you to get here. Uh, and I think some of these Confederate soldiers, because of their kind of kind of racist hierarchical mindset, they accepted that. And they said, oh, well, of course you're back. Of course you're happy that we're back. Of course you're, you know, you're happy. Um, so I think that interaction happens. And then I mm-hmm. think there are some, some really, really ugly interactions as well. Uh, it, it's uh, one, of, one of the stories that one cannot avoid in reading about this, but you particularly note how many occasions there were where Tennessee regiments, uh, mm-hmm. white and black, are fighting each other. So these are people who may well have known each other before the war. Let me ask a, a, a different question. This is a mm-hmm. technical book production question. Okay. The uh, – <clears throat> In, in some cases, when writing a book, the publisher will say, can you supply illustrations? And you supply mm-hmm. the illustrations you can find. Um, mm-hmm. Other times, I've, I've seen books, I think David Potter's book was in a, one I remember from grad school, where it was pretty clear the illustrations had been supplied by the publisher because they didn't have anything to do with the text. Um, yeah. There were some illustrations in here that, that uh, where I scratched my head. They're like, like they're from the Army of the Potomac or uh, Army yep. of Northern Virginia. Did you select them? And if so, what was the strategy? Yes, yes, I, I selected uh, most, if if not all, the illustrations. And, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I used some uh, that, that were not necessarily related directly to this game. I tried to to label them and caption them correctly, so I'm not misrepresenting mm-hmm. anything. Uh, but part of my thinking there was, uh, you know, and I and I spent a lot of time. Time, you know, teaching undergraduates, teaching freshmen and sophomores, uh, and in many cases, I'll, I'll mention something in a lecture. Uh, you know, I'll mention a you know an overcoat or a knapsack or mm-hmm. you know whatever else or you know a Confederate camp, uh, and they they have no idea what I'm talking about. Like they don't even have a starting place for what something like that might look like. Mm. Uh, and so, part of why I use some of these illustrations and, and once again caption them correctly, I hope, uh, yeah. was to at least at least give a reader, a general reader, or somebody that may. Um, you know, maybe new to this, to at least give them some, you know, some mental image of kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I mean, when you see a row of, of dead bodies, for example.
example, that, yeah. and they're correctly captioned that they're not from yeah. the Army of Tennessee. But yeah. if you want to know what dead Civil War soldiers look like, here's a very good example. So, I, well, maybe that makes sense. Uh, the Army reaches its low point at the Battle of Nashville, December mm-hmm. 1865, after Franklin. They, they push on. They they besiege Thomas's Army, mm-hmm. Federal Army, in Nashville, although it's kind of a backward siege. The, the ones yeah. in the city are a lot bigger and stronger and happier <laughs> than the guys outside. Uh, I, I get cold just reading that chapter. Uh, I, just, I need to turn the heat up or put a sweater on. It just sounds like it was so cold uh, in December in Tennessee. And what uh, uh, was I mean, at that point? Could anything different have happened? You know that's a that's a great question. So you're you know you're you're uh, Hood and you're commanding the Army of Tennessee, and even if you think you've kind of won at Franklin, funny enough, there were uh, some Confederate soldiers that that showed up at the at the gates of Nashville right after Franklin and made comments about, okay, well let's just go ahead and charge, let's just go ahead and break through Nashville while we're here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and even even Hood, as as aggressive as he was, he was he was not about to about to order that. He knew how that was going to turn out. Um, so yeah, it becomes a question of well, what what do you do? Um, do you just acknowledge that it's it's failed and and retreat uh, and call it a failure? Uh, do you hope that you will get more uh, more supplies? Do you hope that Thomas is going to do something very very rash and walk into a trap? Um, I think I think Hood. I think the army at that point was kind of just sitting there. Hoping something was going to was going to uh, kind of turn in their favor, uh, and of course it didn't. No, they they suffer the the one time that a field army in the Civil War was disintegrated on the field of battle, not just captured, but actually 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 suffers a decisive defeat. You you then have a, f- a final chapter. You, you describe the retreat. They get mm-hmm. go back across the state of Tennessee, south of the river, and pull themselves together to some extent. Uh, why end there? The army continues to fight uh, you know, through the winter, and they'll be at Bentonville in North Carolina uh, in the next spring. Why did you choose to end your story where you did? You know, I ended it there in several places. For February's one thing, it's just a convenient place to, to end a story because you're, you know, you're at the end of a campaign. Uh, for another, while certainly there was something that, that was called the Army of Tennessee that fought in North Carolina, you know, I question what degree that's really the same army anymore. You know, it's the Army of Tennessee, not the Army of North Carolina. Um, and at the point at which it's fighting to retake Tennessee, when the men think that they're going to retake their home state, even if they're they're being a little bit uh, a little bit over optimistic uh, that's very different than going to North Carolina and I think Johnson was very open when he when he took the army to North Carolina that said yeah we're we're not fighting to get Tennessee back we're not fighting for overall victory we're you know we're fighting to try to get better terms for peace or mm-hmm. something like that so I think I just I think there's a fundamental shift there well it does bring the story to an end and it, it's a, a moving story I will say to, to read the the accounts of these guys and what they suffer through and uh, uh, and the spirit with which they do it. Uh, what was it? Uh, as, as Grant said about Lee's army, never did men fight more bravely or for a worse cause. Uh, they, they, they certainly do uh, show great human courage, regardless of what they're fighting for. The uh, we, we have just a minute left. Uh, real quick question: Do you have another project in the hopper? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I do. Um, I've got another one that is out for uh, out for peer review uh, as we speak. Uh, it's a similar methodology, similar kind of approach, but a different campaign. Uh, and uh, and hopefully, I'll hear some some good news from, from peer reviewers in the not distant future. Well, well, well. Best of luck with that. I hope that Thank comes you. true because that would be fun to read. Also, um, the book. Uh, well, it it it. it, it puts the focus where where it has not been often enough and, and should be on the soldiers in the ranks uh, in this case of the Army of Tennessee uh, listeners you will enjoy this if you like a campaign history if you want to 
uh, learn more about what it was like to be there. Uh, Suffering in the Army of Tennessee, a social history of the Confederate Army of the Heartland from the battles for Atlanta to the retreat from Nashville. That's the book. Author is Christopher Thrasher, who's been our guest tonight. Christopher, it was a pleasure talking with you. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.